This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. Now, I used to live very close to the rental property. Now I don't. You know, we bought a house that's about 40 minutes outside of uh, D.C., and have a child, you know, more things to do in life. So it's hard to kind of manage it. And the option is to get a a manager that would do it. But then, of course, that would eat into some of our profits if, if, if you have profits to begin with. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids & Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill. And today... We're going to do two things. First, we're going to review 14 pros and cons of real estate investing from 14 current and former real estate investors. And second, I am changing the name of our Give Jar segment to the Be the Change segment. This is in honor of Gandhi's super famous quote, Be the Change You Want to See in the World. So for our the Change segment this month, we're featuring Sarah Potts from Thorn. This organization is dedicated to ending child sex trafficking and the sexual exploitation of kids. And if you think this type of activity isn't happening in the good old U.S. of A., then think again, my friends. Sarah and I are going to talk about how their organization is saving children through advanced technology and how you can help. All right. Let's jump into today's show. Lately, I've been sharing our family's interest in buying our first rental property. I've written articles, I've done at least a dozen podcast interviews on the subject, and I've even looked at some houses with my wife, Nicole. I learned the 1% rule, the 50% rule, I've learned how to analyze a deal. It's It's been a lot of fun. During this entire time, though, I've been asking for people's feedback, their experience, their advice, whether I'm in a Facebook group or or just even through my podcast episodes or articles. Because I'm a complete newbie. I do not know what I'm doing with, with regard to real estate investing. So I'm, I'm seeking out advice. One person that reached out to me recently was my friend, Dennis. And I thought I'd invite him on the show to chat about it. So welcome to the show, Dennis. How's it going? Good. Thank you for having me on the show. Hopefully I'll become very popular because of this. Absolutely. Well, that's the whole goal, really, just to get you uh, <laughs> fame and adulation. So, so Dennis, you, you sent me a text of recently, and it got me thinking a lot about our plans for real estate investing. In short, the text read, as an owner of rental property, I would advise against it. So that got me thinking a lot because I'm I'm going down this path. I'm talking to a bunch of people about the positive sides of everything. But really, I want to look at both sides of the coin. And that's part of the reason I wanted to have you on to chat. But before we, we talk about why you advise against it, can you tell us just a little bit about how you got started in real estate investing? Yes, absolutely. I was moving into D.C., Washington, D.C., and uh, my friend and I, both decided to instead of renting a property, let's say, we said to ourselves, "Hey, let's just buy one instead of paying for rent." And then <clears throat> the long-term goal of that is to eventually, obviously, move out when we have families, and then uh, rent it out for the long-term goal of 
making money down the road. So that's the reason and how we got into it. Okay, cool. So you got, how long did you live there together then? And then when did you move out? Uh, we bought the place actually at the peak of the market. It was around 2005, 2006. And we lived there, I would say three to four years. And then we started renting it out. Got it. So you've rented it out since then, since about 2012 then, or 20, about 2010? 2010 till as of today, even. Yes. Okay, it's cool. It's been, been rented out since uh, during those nine years. So you guys are have been partners on the deal. Is that how it went? Right. So he's 50% owner, I'm 50% owner. Got it. Got it. So, so let's talk a little bit about some of the cons. Obviously, you know, you said you bought it at the peak of the market. I did the same thing, by the way, bought my, bought my first place in 2004 and I don't think it returned at the value. I'm not sure it ever did. Um, and we sold it in, uh, 2013. So I'm assuming maybe that's one of the cons. What, what other cons, uh, have, have you experienced in owning this piece of property? The main thing is, I would say, just variables in general uh, to owning a property. You know, you like you just suggest, suggested. You know, you bought at the peak um, in DC. We bought at the peak too, but DC didn't really hit a recession, and there wasn't a huge downfall in home pricing because it's you know governments here and everything. So. So that wasn't really an issue for us. The main issue for us is like, for example, they are building all these other apartment buildings, high rises in the area because there's such a surge of people wanting to move in. And there's actually a huge surplus of properties to be rented out. And since these newer homes, uh, apartments are nicer and there's such a huge supply versus demand, they are lowering their prices, as an example. So we're competing against, you know, these new places that have pools and saunas and everything, and they're just a couple hundred bucks more than our place, for example. Uh, so, you know, that's a variable, something that you can't really, you don't really know that, you know, it's down the road, you know, five years or 10 years. Dealing with tenants, you know, if, uh, if one person says, hey, you know, my light bulb went out, you know, although it's not really your responsibility, sometimes they give you a call and talk about it, you know, and then rent prices, you know, if, uh, if you are, you don't, sometimes you just don't have control over like rental prices. It can go up, it can go down. The goal is for it to go up, but you never know, you know, you never know. You can never see into the future and say, yeah, this is absolutely going to happen. So basically for me, to summar, summarize again, it's I think just too many variables that can play a factor in this in terms of rent, renting out your property. Yeah, and especially as you get to that point where you're looking for maybe less variables in your life. Yeah. You know, you're, you're recently married, you've got a, a new child, and so maybe more of this just comes with a headache as opposed to a, a plus. Am I right? Right. I mean, that's, I'm glad you brought that up because that's a great point as well. You know, I used to live very close to the rental property. Now I don't. You know, we bought a house that's about 40 minutes outside of uh, D.C. and have a child, you know, more things to do in life. So it's hard to kind of manage it uh, um, as well. I mean, obviously, an option is to get a, a manager that would do it. But then, of course, that would eat into some of our um, I guess profits if, if, if you have profits to begin with. Right. 
So, so well, we're talking about a lot of the cons. Is, is there anything that's popped up over the 12 years you've been doing this that you're saying, okay, well, this was really worth it, or I'm happy I did this, um, or is it all cons? <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, as, as much as it sounds like I, I'm, I have nothing but negative things to say, uh, I wouldn't, I mean, you know, the, the pros here are you, uh, it's an investment for the future. I mean, it's not like we're going to get, a, you know, eventually just lose all this money you know i mean it's a good market dc is a great market um in general because the federal government is mainly here so it's never gonna really go away we're gonna make money down the road i mean it's, it's kind of like it's better than gambling the money away or you know we we're still making money down the road as an investment so i'm happy that i did it instead of doing that instead of you know spending thousands of dollars on clothes or video games or whatever else that you know people can spend money on so i try to look at the positive side of it as well yeah so you see it as a long-term investment something that will make money down the road but has has come with a lot of challenges throughout the process yeah it has come with some challenges exactly um you know uh we're not we're not doing too bad on it in terms of you know um money on the money side of it but yeah it could be better it could be much worse, but uh, overall, if I could go back and I think I would have uh, invested my money, the down payment, et cetera, and all the repairs and and so forth uh, in, in something else. Yeah, general stock market or REITs like you and I were chatting about a little bit, something like that potentially. Yeah, exactly. Something like that. Stocks. Uh, ETFs, something, something a little bit more safe, but also gives you a, a decent return. Awesome. Well, man, I really appreciate you you chatting with me about this. I really appreciate you actually when you texted me because, um, you know, sometimes I um, am super positive guy that only looks at like, hey, well, there's there's only sunshine and rainbows when it comes to real estate investing. So I'm glad, I'm glad that I could at least look at both sides of the coin, and that's really the the goal. And I'm, you know, our family's considering doing a literal six figure investment. So I, I want to make sure that we're doing the right thing. And I really appreciate you reaching out me out to me as a friend and, um, and giving me your perspective. So uh, I appreciate it a lot, man. And I'm, I'm going to be coming out to DC in September. So, uh, I'll be out there for a conference. So we've got to, we got to get together, man. Absolutely. I would love to talk about just general finance things um when you're when you're here hopefully we can meet up awesome and 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 have a drink as well <laughs> yes i'm not all personal finance don't worry i know i have a show about it and that's what i talk about a lot <laughs> and my wife says i talk about it too much so we can talk about other things as well <laughs> great great and thank you so much for having me on it's been great uh love listening to your podcast and appreciate um uh even contributing a little bit absolutely man thank you so much all right thank you That was awesome, honest feedback from a friend. You know what I'm talking about? Dennis had some cons as well as some pros from his decade plus of investing in real estate. On top of what Dennis shared, I thought it would be really interesting to add some more perspectives on the pros and cons of real estate. Again, our family is considering making a multi-six-figure investment. I want to make sure we're doing the right thing. And if you're considering it, I want uh, I want you to be prepared as well. So I asked a few more friends to share their thoughts, their cons, and their pros of investing in real estate. Okay, well, I guess it's a little bit more than a few. It's 13 more. <laughs> you're going to hear from each of them for about 
one to three minutes. These will be folks with one unit or 50 units and everywhere in between. When we're looking at any big investment, I think it is smart to look at both sides of the coin and get as many perspectives as possible. So here we go. Hey, it's Tom from TomAndOrion.com, and I am a entrepreneur and real estate investor, and uh, real estate was actually the first business that we ever got into. And so uh, right now, we have 18 units. Uh, we've had more over time. We've also had less, and um, that's currently where we're sitting. And so the major pro and the major reason we got into real estate is because there's multiple benefits to real estate. And I'm speaking uh, of buy and hold at this point. So you're able to you know, make money from monthly cash flow, assuming that you buy it right. Uh, you're able to make money from appreciation as real estate goes up over time. You're able to make money from the uh, mortgage pay down that your tenants are going to have. You're also able to make money from the tax savings and some of the write-off you'll get from mortgages. So multiple ways to make money. And um, that was really a big pro to me. And you know, it's a physical asset that you have. Now, one of the cons that a lot of people miss is that it does take work. You know, it takes work to research and make sure that you're buying the right property. It takes work to make sure you're buying it at the right price. It also takes work to put the systems and processes in place to screen tenants, to get your system set up to be able to collect rent, and ultimately make sure that you're continuously making money off of that. So pros and cons to the approach but uh, real estate is a really good investment for uh, people that are looking at you know a different way to make money outside of the stock market. People love the idea of buying rental real estate as an investment, but it's the only investment that I've ever had that lost money and swore at me at the same time. The problem was that the economy went south and our renter lost his job. Therefore, he couldn't pay rent anymore. And even though you want to be sympathetic, at some point, you need to start collecting rent again. And at that point, he was very, very angry. Um, It took us six months to actually evict him because he never did regain his work. And we felt terrible, but we were also out a huge amount of money. We eventually sold that investment and didn't lose money on it, but didn't make that much money. And meanwhile, you could invest in the stock market and nobody calls you when the toilet is running or the pipes are broken or there's some other problem with the house. Hey, Andy, it's Joel from the How to Money podcast, and I enjoyed being on your show just about a year ago, and we talked about real estate. So I figured I had to respond to your call for one pro and one con about investing in real estate. All right, I'll start with my pro. The best thing about investing in real estate has been that the cash flow has basically acted like a part-time job for our family. And my five rental properties have allowed for my wife to be able to stay at home with our kids during their earliest years. And so that's been just a huge plus for our family. That was something she really wanted to do. And I feel like owning a few rental properties in our area has made that a reality, has made that a possibility where it might've been much harder to make that happen otherwise. All right. And the biggest con of investing in real estate, in my opinion, from my experience 
has been the time that it takes, the time that it takes to save up to buy another property. I mean, my goal is to buy a property every two years. And so it's slow going. And then also the time that it takes to to make sure that a property is in good condition, dealing with tenants. Basically, real estate isn't nearly as passive as some people make it sound. I will say on the flip side, I've never gotten any of those crazy 3 a.m. phone calls that there's a leaky toilet. It's really not as bad as the naysayers will make it out to be if you do your due diligence, especially when it comes to screening tenants. So there you go. If I had it to do over, I would not change a thing. And actually, probably what I would have done is buy more individual properties, duplexes, triplexes. Like I wish I had more rental real estate in my life. And it is my goal over the years to slowly accrue a few more investment properties. And best of luck to you, buddy, as you seek to do the same. Hey, it's Lisa from Mad Money Monster. And I thought I'd call in and give my two cents about being um, a real estate investor. So I own a single family home uh, that I run out for about 12 years now. I've been lucky so far that I've only had two sets of tenants and never a late rent payment. Um, so that's pretty amazing in my opinion. Now I do use a property manager, so I must give him some credit um, as far as screening tenants and getting the right people in there. Uh, however, um, that does even eat into my profits. So, But for me, it's worth having the peace of mind that he provides as far as you know, legal documentation and action if we would ever need to to move forward in that direction. Um, as far as the pros and cons for me, I love real estate because it gives me another piece of a diversification in my portfolio. And it's a way for me to have somebody else buy an asset <laughs> for me. So I like having tenants buy an asset, um, buy me an asset. Biggest con probably is that, oh, probably that you're in, or I'm invested, anybody who's invested in, you know, real estate, you're invested in a single property in a single town on a single street. So if something happens, you know, to that town to, or something, you know, to that street, something goes, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like investing in a single stock, in my opinion, you know, something the, the company can go bankrupt, right? So uh, it kind of is a little risky in that regard, but not enough to deter me. And I'm still going to move forward with possibly buying more rentals in the future and enjoy the one that I do have so far. Anyway, I just wanted to call in and give my opinion since I do talk a lot about real estate and home ownership on my own blog and podcast. So thanks. Hi, Andy. My name is Dr. Jason Kabler from CelebratingFinancialFreedom.com. And I'm, in a, I'm a real estate investor. I have one rental house, and I am actually a little bit different than most in that I pay cash for my rental house. So I'm not a leveraged real estate investor. And the other thing that I really like about investing is that I don't really have to do any management. I have a property manager, so it is a very, very low hassle investment. And but. She only charges me 10% of the rent, and since I paid cash for the house, um, I don't have a mortgage payment. So it's wonderful in that way. It's very low stress. She takes care of everything, and I get a check for well over $1,000 in my account every month, which I reinvest in the stock market, mutual funds, anything that I want to invest in. And eventually, I will build that account up to where I will invest in another rental house, and I will snowball that into more and more rental houses as time goes on. So that's the way I do it. It's a little not, uh, it's unleveraged, so it's a little different than a lot of people do. 
And but the returns have been well for me. I've averaged about seventeen percent year over year, and have done well. How's it going, everybody? This is Scott Trench with BiggerPockets.com, uh, answering Andy Hill with MarriageKidsAndMoney.com his question about delivering a pro and con of real estate investing. It won't be any surprise to you that I have a bias towards real estate investing coming from BiggerPockets.com, but I hope I can surprise you a little bit with uh, my angle here on this question. All right, so the pro of real estate investing for me is that I believe long-term a leveraged real estate portfolio that has operated well can and statistically should outperform a comparable index fund or other average stock investment. And I believe that that effect can be very dramatic over a long hold period of, let's say, 10 or more years. All right, what's the con then? This, the con is that this outperformance, this extra return that a real estate investor can generate, only works if the portfolio is leveraged and leveraged for the entire duration of the hold period with regular re-leverage as notes are paid down or average annual long-term appreciation sets in and equity values increase. So if you're going to use leverage over a long period of time, that creates additional risk. And an uneducated, undisciplined operator can and will likely lose a substantial amount of money or go bankrupt at some point in the hold period if they are not managing their properties and their portfolio correctly. Either that or they're going to seek to reduce risk by paying down their debt and owning the properties free and clear. And an unleveraged real estate portfolio does not, per my analysis, outperform an equity investment over the long run. It's through the use of leverage that real estate investors are able to get returns that can be dramatic over time. So it's the con is that you can't get a higher return over a long period of time without using leverage on your equity portfolio. Uh, but the pro is that if you do use leverage, you can get a, a dramatically greater return. Thank you very much. Bye. Hey, Andy, this is Deacon Hayes from Well-Kept Wallets. Uh, I wanted to give you my perspective on investing in real estate. Um, I've got actually have uh, a lot of cons. Um, there are some pros. Um, so let me get started. So uh, 2006, decided to buy two properties in Arizona. Uh, the housing crisis happened. Those properties uh, were cut in half in value. And it took uh, almost, I think, 11 years for them to get back to even. Uh, however, one of them was foreclosed on. The other one we sold for like a $50,000 loss. So that was my initial experience. Uh, today, I'm investing in crowdfunded real estate uh, through Fundrise and Rich Uncles. Um, and those two platforms have done decent. Um, they're not... Uh, they're not crazy like good, but it's kind of like a set it and forget it, right? Instead of having the hassle of dealing with traditional real estate, um, I was able to have, um, you know, get say somewhere between seven and 10% returns through crowdfunded real estate. We also have an Airbnb now. Uh, it's not profitable, um, but it's a place that we can stay as a second home. So for some people thinking about getting into real estate, uh, building equity, having a second home, and then Airbnb being it. Um, it's just a nice way to have a place to go and have some income coming in, um, but not necessarily a great return. Hi, this is Pam Andrews, the Scholarship Shark, and I just wanted to share our experience with owning real estate. My husband and I will be married for 25 years this August, 
And over our time of being married, we've owned um, several real estate properties. We bought our first one about five years into our marriage, and that was a condo. And we quickly decided we did not like the condo because of the some of the shared expenses and shared aggravation. So we sold that about 10 years after owning it and just opted for single family units. But um, I have a couple college age kids and a few younger kids. I'm a mom of four. And um, one other thing that, and it's not necessarily a con, but it's just something to consider, is that real estate really is considered um, an investment asset when it comes to the FAFSA or even the CSS profile if you have college-bound high school kids. So for families who um, are, you know, have kids, uh, high school age kids or current college students, you just need to factor in that into the equation because the more um, accessible assets that you have, the more money your family is going to be expected to contribute to the cost of their college education. But again, the pros outweigh the cons. Hey, Andy, my name is Paula Pant. I'm with the Afford Anything podcast. And here is the benefit to long-term buy-and-hold residential rental property investing. The benefit here is that so all assets, no matter whether it's a stock or a bond or a rental property, all assets make money in two ways. One is the capital appreciation, meaning that it goes up in value, and the other is the dividend or the income stream that it pays out. Now, if you're investing in stocks, the returns are mostly in the form of capital appreciation. When you're investing in a rental property, the returns bias towards that dividend. They bias towards the income stream. And what that means is that rental property investing is a more appropriate choice for somebody who has the goal of building passive income to reach financial independence because of the fact that the returns bias towards the income stream. So here's an example of that. You buy a duplex for $300,000. It rents for $1,500 on both sides, which means $3,000 in total. For the sake of simplicity, we'll assume that you purchased this in cash so that we can compare it to investing $300,000 in cash in the stock market. So this rental property collects $3,000 gross. Half of that goes to operating overhead, which means that it's collecting $1,500 net per month. That is $18,000 a year, which means, given the fact that the price of the property was $300,000, that that is a 6% dividend. Now, assuming the property just keeps pace with inflation and no more, that means the total return would be 9%. And so comparably, you might put that same $300,000 into the stock market. Let's say you put it into a S&P 500 index fund, and that over a long-term aggregate average also has a 9% return. But in the case of the rental property, you have 6% out of that 9% coming in the form of an income stream, which means that if you were to achieve an early retirement or you wanted to live on passive income, you could then keep that 6%. In the case of the S&P 500 index fund that might have the same equivalent total return, you would have to draw down at a 4% rate rather than a 6% rate in order to have a strong likelihood of not outliving that money. And so if your goal is to achieve cash flow, passive income that leads to financial independence, Rental properties are more appropriate to it because 6% is the new 4%. You can have two investments, same amount of money, same level of return, but because of the way that those investments flow, their returns, because of the uh, dividend orientation of a rental property, you can enjoy higher cash flow and you can enjoy that 6% return rather than a 4% withdrawal rate at an equivalent level of stocks. So that's the advantage to rental properties. The disadvantage is that passive income is not a euphemism for free money. And so you do have to front load the workload. It does take more effort up front than simply buying an S&P 500 index fund. 
So that is the advantage and the disadvantage to buying rental properties. This is Paula Pant. I am the host of the Afford Anything podcast. Thank you so much for asking that question. Hey, what's up, guys? My name is Dave with From Military to Millionaire. I currently own 13 rental units, and over the last four years, I've bought and sold 53 units. One of the major cons that I see a lot of times with real estate investing is that it takes work to get things going and generally requires a lot of knowledge unless you're just a private money investor. This creates a barrier to entry and keeps a lot of people away because they don't have the time to educate themselves or the workload seems immense. And so because it takes a lot of work to get going, a lot of people just don't. One of the major pros or positives that I see when it comes to real estate investing is that it allows you to build generational wealth by harnessing the powers of cash flow, appreciation, depreciation, debt pay down from your tenants. Also, you have control of the asset and its performance. Once again, my name is Dave with From Military to Millionaire. I want to thank you for letting me join you on the podcast today. Have a great day. Hello, Andy. This is uh, Jonathan from JohnnyTalks.com. Um, no, just want to share one uh, pro and con uh, of uh, real estate investing. I have, uh, uh, I've had one rental and two uh, parking spots that I was renting, so it was a small real estate, but it was a very good experience. Uh, what this has taught me is uh, I will share you with you one pro and one con. So the con, let's start with the bad news first. Uh, no, it, it's not just passive. Uh, there's a myth of passive income, which uh, actually real estate is a great way to make passive income. But there's a myth in the sense that it requires a lot of work up front, you know, like researching the right properties, etc. You know, like researching the properties, securing uh, the right tenant uh, running the numbers, uh, taking all parameters into account, contingency, etc. So there's a lot of work to upfront before you actually buy uh, your rental property, whether it's a parking spot, an apartment, a house, etc. One pro is, of course, that it's a great way to build wealth. I mean, somebody's paying you, helping you to pay the mortgage. Uh, you will get the uh, property appreciation, including the the rents that will pick up over the long haul. So in the long term, yeah, it's a good strategy, but it's um, you should do your research first. Everybody should do and see if it's the right fit for you. Okay, that was it. That was my two cents. Okay, bye-bye. See you, Jonathan. Hi, Andy. This is Sean Mullaney from MullaneyFinancial.com. I've got one pro and one con of real estate investing. I'll start with the con. When you invest in real estate, you really need to know that business in order to make money. Say you instead invest in index funds, you wind up owning pieces of all sorts of different types of businesses. You don't need to know a single thing about operating a company or generating sales or managing expenses in order to make money investing in broad-based index funds. Real estate, on the other hand, is a little different. In order to make money in that business, you really need to know how to find properties, find the right types of tenants, manage your expenses, and those sorts of things. So to my mind, that's a significant con of real estate investing. Now for the pro, the tax advantages. Because of depreciation and interest deductions, many people wind up not actually reporting taxable income on their tax return when they own real estate, even though the property may be cash flow positive. There are many tax breaks in the Internal Revenue Code for U.S. real estate investors, and it is a significant pro of investing in real estate in the United States. Hey, everyone. My name is Chad Carson from the Real Estate and Financial Independence podcast and also blog over at CoachCarson.com. 
I've been a full-time real estate investor for about 17 years now. And I've realized that one of the challenges or the negatives for a lot of people is that upfront real estate investing is very much like a startup company. It's more entrepreneurial than it is investing. So if you were, you know, you're used to pressing a button and buying an index fund at Vanguard or something, uh, this is not like that. And so you've got to, you've got to think about it like a business. You got to put time into it. You got to learn how to find deals, how to build a network and a team. Uh, you've got to do all those things you would do in any business to be successful. So that's a challenge. That's why some people don't choose not to do it. But I'll, I'll point out that on the other side of that, the flip side of that coin is where you start seeing some positive of that as well. There's less competition when you have to go through all that effort to get things done. So that's, that's positive number one. But the other pro to that is that it gets better over time. And my example might be informative. When I first started, I was, of course, hustling. And I still hustle off and on today as well. But a couple of years ago, my wife and my two kids, who are six and eight now, we went to Ecuador for 17 months. We basically lived off of our rental income the entire time. And I might have spent 30 minutes to an hour per week paying some bills. So it can become very passive after you get over that startup stage. So if you're interested in it, I hope you'll, you'll check out more real estate investing and get both the pros and the cons. Thanks for having me, Andy. I hope this review was helpful for you as you're considering taking the plunge into the world of real estate investing like our family is. My big takeaway from all these voicemails is real estate investing can be an excellent way to build wealth, but it takes time, dedication, great partners, and a whole lot of patience to be successful. If you don't have time, a strong network of partners, and the ability to be flexible with this long-term investment, it's going to be difficult. And even if you have all your ducks in a row, all those things we just talked about, curveballs may still come your way. Things you didn't expect to happen may happen. (laughs) That's why I find it tough to call this type of investment passive, really. I haven't been a real estate investor before, but it feels quite active to me. But the returns are really hard to deny, though. If our family had five to ten free and clear properties here in Metro Detroit, we would be set for life. Well, this episode's definitely going to make for a great dinner conversation with my wife, Nicole, tonight. I want to thank everyone for contributing. That was super cool. Over the past two plus years that I've been doing this podcast journey, it's really felt like earning a master's degree. (laughs) I've learned so much. And today's episode was another awesome lesson for me. We'll be back to the show after a word from our sponsor. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work-optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? (laughs) If you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. 
Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. And use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. Marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. Let's jump back into the show. Be the Change segment this month, we are featuring Thorn, an organization that is dedicated to eliminating child sex abuse from the internet. I've invited the lead of marketing and partnerships, Sarah Potts, to tell us more about this organization. We're also going to discuss why this deplorable situation for children is on the rise, and a lot of it is here in the United States. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Sarah, I appreciate you being here. I was looking at your website, and evidently, Reports of child sex abuse material online has increased by 10,000% since 2004. Why is this happening? Yeah, a couple of reasons it's happening. One of the reasons it's happening is because a couple companies have decided to start looking for this content on their platforms more actively. So a percentage of that increase is the fact that a couple more companies have decided to actively look on their platforms instead of saying, there's no way, there's no way this happens here. When they start to look, they see, oh my gosh, it does happen here. And then they report that to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, who is a critical partner in this work and houses all of that information and works really hard to reunify children with their families. So one reason is because we're starting to look for it. We're getting better at being aware that this is a problem. And then the other reason it's happening is because when the internet changed all of our lives, it changed it by allowing us to connect. Right now, you and I are connecting, you're connecting with your followers, like this is a really incredible thing you're doing. But people who have different goals can also use the internet to connect for their own purposes. And some people are using that to connect around their shared interest in abusing children. And that explosion is the thing that we are trying to find ways to mitigate so we can find children faster and create an online environment that is inhospitable to that kind of community building. I love your mission. This is incredible. So you said here. So where is this content coming from? We talked about global United States. Talk to us about where the problem is coming from. 
Yeah. So I think the problem is everywhere in some regard. So we're really lucky to be working in 38 different countries with some incredible international law enforcement agents. But that means that there is also a lot happening here in the U.S. When we think about where the internet lives, where it legally lives, the internet, a lot of the companies, Google, right, a lot of big companies are U.S.-based companies. So when you think about what companies the content is being shared on, then those are US-based organizations. For the most part, there are plenty of other places where content is being shared as well. And I think the important thing is that it's that it doesn't know any boundaries. This abuse knows no boundary, and it's in all of our communities. And it's a really hard thing to know about and accept. But if we are able to kind of look at the problem that we've created, we have the first step towards being able to address it and work on behalf of these kids. So what is Thorne doing to combat the situation? We're doing a lot of things. So Thorne's mission is to defend children from child sexual abuse by building technology. So we're really focused on the ways that children need support, defense protection, and what technology can do to combat their abuse. We're focused there because when we were founded about seven years ago by Ashton Kutcher and Demi Moore, they asked our founder to go, they asked as founders, they asked our CEO to go look out into the field and say, hey, what isn't being done? Where could we add value? How could we do something different? Are we even needed here? Because our hearts, their hearts were so torn open after seeing a Dateline special about what was happening, I think in Cambodia. And they were really lucky enough to talk to some friends who said, that's happening here too. Like look around, go get educated. And this is one of my favorite things about the Thorn origin story is that the first thing that happened is like our hearts were so broken by the situation. And the first thing someone said to us was go learn more, go make sure you're doing the right thing, not just something. And that's really a part of who Thorne is, is to figure out what is the right thing to do and where can we specifically be valuable. And so that focus on technology is where we saw there being a gap. There are a lot of things that are helping technology companies change the world. And there are a lot of reasons. It's really important that tech companies and law enforcement don't just like text each other all day. We're, there's a lot of privacy concerns in the world. And we're, so we're really excited that there are some separations between those organizations. However, in the case of child protection, we need to have a really different conversation around how we're going to collaborate together to work on behalf of kids. And Thorne has the ability to sit in between international, national, local law enforcement, big companies, and then nonprofit partners like the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, which we also call NICMIC for this conversation. And so Thorne can sit in between there and do a couple things. We can build technology, build tools that people on the front lines can use to find kids faster. Two examples of that. One is Spotlight. Spotlight is a tool that law enforcement in the U.S. and Canada use to help identify child victims of sex trafficking faster. Uh, that one is our oldest product. We're so proud of it. We're so excited that we're able to offer it to free to users. Um, and then our second one is Safer. And what Safer is, is a product that helps companies that host user-generated content, which is the industry term for anywhere you can upload a photo. <laughs> um, anywhere you can upload a photo our belief is that there's probably child sexual exploitation happening on that platform. And Safer is a product that helps companies look for that content and re remove it from their platform and report it to the appropriate groups. So we're really focused on keeping the internet safer for kids and then also finding the kids who are currently victims faster. That's incredible. So Spotlight, who, who would use this then? Uh, police forces, things like that? 
Yep. Law enforcement. And so they're law enforcement at the most local to most federal levels who do uh, trafficking investigations. So you've probably heard about them in relationship to Operation Cross Country is something that happens every year. It's a national roundup trying to identify um, victims and recover them. There's also around the Super Bowl, you've probably heard of different operations around that. But there's also just really common corridors. The Eastern Seaboard is a common corridor where girls and children are moved around very frequently. Same thing with the sort of the Northern California, Reno, Vegas, Southern California loop. But these are just places where it's really common for traffickers to move victims. But one of the really big problems for law enforcement officers is if you're an officer, you're focused on your county. Like that's your area of responsibility. If someone is moving through your county every six months, you have no way to know, you have no way to build a case or to know how to look for that person or where else they might've been, or if this is a a one-off thing, like you just don't have enough information. What Spotlight does is it aggregates publicly available information so that law enforcement agents who are working anti-trafficking cases and looking to recover children are able to put all those pieces together and hopefully figure out like, oh my gosh, this is a child who's being moved around and has been posted 600 times in the past two weeks. We need to go get her. And now we know exactly where she is and where she's going to be next. So Spotlight takes all this information. There are about 200,000 escort ads posted in the U.S. every day. And in those escort ads, somewhere is the advertisements for children. And so having a law enforcement be able to use a tool to take all of that information and focus it on who's the most likely victim, who's most likely a child, allows them to just start their day off ahead and allows them to like really get to the work of building a case on how to make a date and intercept with that child. And then for Safer, this is for any company you said that uploads a picture. I mean, so that's every company pretty much Everywhere, right? That's all of them. That's all the companies. Um, yeah. Preferably small and medium-sized companies for Safer, although big ones, we'd be happy to help as well. Mm-hmm. But one of the problems is so child sexual abuse material is a slightly different issue than child sex trafficking, although they can overlap. Um, child sexual abuse material, also CSAM, is more commonly known as child pornography. In our field, we don't use that term because we don't think it's pornography. Um, it, it's usually quite young and quite violent. And so that relationship but that language relationship doesn't make sense. So that's what CSAM is. Um, so, mm-hmm. And so when people upload that, you need a way to know <laughs> if that content is on your platform or not. Um, one of the ways that there are some big companies, if you're big enough, if you're Facebook, if you're Google, if you're Microsoft, you have, you've seen some of this content before, you've reported it, and then there's a technology that they use called hashing. Hashing is where you take an image and you turn it into a series of numbers. And those numbers are representative of that image so that you can be able to compare two images without a human having to look at them. That's a very, for anyone super technical out there, please don't be offended by how simple I made that. Um, But that hashing technology is what allows people to build up like large banks of information around known bad images. It's also really important because no one's allowed to have child pornography. That all has to be deleted and reported. So we kind of consider it radioactive legally. But if you're not a big company and you don't have a team and you don't have a team dedicated to this, and like, let's say you're a startup and you have 12 employees and you're trying to grow your user base and you have people saying like, grow, 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 grow. You don't have time to hire three people just to try and focus on child sexual exploitation. Like you just, you just don't. Also, 
you likely haven't thought about the issue yet. You know, it's, it's not as common of an issue, which in some ways is wonderful that people don't know about it, but in some ways it's really complicated because it creates more risk for children without an ability to have a conversation around it. So for these small and medium companies where it would be a really big cost for them to try and protect their platforms in the same ways that Google or Facebook or Microsoft can, Safer is a solution that they can buy and use it just like any other content moderation system to help keep their platform safe from abusers who are co-opting the platform and using it in a way that the founders never dreamed of. So let's talk about action. We're all about action on this show. So the people who are listening are hearing right now this situation and maybe with their jaws dropped about what's going on. What can people do to support your organization? Absolutely. Um, I think a very very obvious and always needed one is a donation. We are so thankful to all of our donors. Um, when we have a community who's mobilized to support this work, it not only allows us to do the work, but we also love it. We, we talk internally all the time when we get new donors, and oftentimes donors will leave a little note for us about why they donated or why this was important to them. And if you're listening and you decide to donate, First, thank you. But second, if you have a note, leave it. It'll go around the whole company and we talk about it. And it gives us so much energy to know that while we're over here trying to like dedicate our time and our lives to this work, that other people see it and other people appreciate it. It, it's, it not only allows us to help the kids, but it really helps us. And that's wonderful. Um, and the other thing I was going to talk about is we have, um, you can raise awareness around the issue. Start talking about it with your family, with your colleagues. It's, it's a hard issue to talk about, and we need to have more inroads so that when we have good news, we can share it with everyone and they'll know what we're talking about. Absolutely. Well, a lot of the folks listening to the show are small business owners or uh, they are they care about their children. You know, there's a lot of families sure. that listened to this show. So talk to the parents that are listening. How, how can we protect our children on the internet? This is, this is scary stuff. It is scary stuff. I think that, I think what we know about some of the worst of the worst abuse is very similar to what we already know about different types of family violence, which is that oftentimes perpetrators already have access to children. And so one of the very common things is continue to know the people in your children's lives. Right. So like while there is an absolute danger of them meeting and connecting with someone online who you'll never know. Another problem is just making sure that people aren't able to interact with your children in a way that you're not comfortable with. Um, and I think that's a very standard parenting tip that I I'm not a parent, but we have a bunch of parents on staff. So they there's a lot of like tried and true nature to that. However, in specifically on how people are interacting with kids digitally, um, we have a campaign called Stop Sextortion. And you can go to stopsextortion.com and you can learn a little bit more about that. But this is a different issue where children are meeting people online, making friends with people. And then that relationship ends up not being with a friend, but with an adult who's looking to groom that child to create sexual content for them. This is it gets really complicated because the kids feel really embarrassed and they feel like they don't have anyone to turn to. They feel like if they tell anyone, they'll get in trouble, that it will be their fault. And whether you, you know, however your family wants to handle that specific problem, the concern that we hear over and over again from victims is that they didn't think that they could tell anyone. And that's really the scary part is if a kid gets trapped and is being abused by an adult and they, and they, that abuser is telling them like, 
if you tell anyone what's happening, I'll tell your dad. And then that starts to make you feel ashamed when you're the one being abused and you're a kid and your brain isn't developed enough yet to understand how to, how to get out of that situation. So what we try and encourage is parents to talk about their kids saying like, you can tell me anything. I'll always be here for you. No matter what, if anyone ever does this to you, it's not your fault. And I love you. These sort of like reinforcing positive messages before anything bad happens. We've seen be really valuable discussion starters. And there are some like tips and tricks for parents on the stopsextortion.com website. Well, we'll direct people there in the show notes for sure. Sarah, I have one question for you before we go. There was a point in time when you decided to dedicate your time and your life to this organization. What was the turning point for you where you said, I need to work for Thorne? Oof. You know, I was working at an agency before coming and working at Thorne uh, Marketing Communications. And I met with Julie, our current CEO, and she was so pissed about a policy. I forget the specific. She was just so mad about something. And she was being so frank with me. And then she turned around on a dime and she took all of that frustration and she channeled it into this incredibly positive, very constructive, very respectful conversation with the specific person she was frustrated with. And out of that conversation, she was able to move forward a whole set of policy issues that needed to be addressed where both people felt like they were working together. And that ability to turn your frustration, your anger, your energy into something productive and proactive and together, I was floored by and something I continue to be inspired by every day when I do this work. And that is the message of this organization, I think. We are all upset about what's going on. What can we do as a collective to make a difference here. Sarah, thank you so much for your time today. Where can people learn more about Thorne and then consider donating to your organization? Thorne.org. You can follow us on all social media. I think our Instagram is particularly delightful. Excellent. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you so much. That was an eye-opening chat, my friends. I am inspired by the work that Thorne is doing to protect our nation's children and children around the globe. If you feel moved by Sarah's message and Thorne's mission, please consider donating at thorne.org. And I'm going to lead the charge by donating $100 from my small business today. If you can't donate, don't worry about it. Consider sharing what Thorne is doing on your social platforms Awareness is the first step to combating this horrible, horrible issue. Thanks, everybody. As a quick reminder, this show is for entertainment purposes only, my friends. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific financial situation. Before we go for the day, I'd like to ask you to do any one of these three things to support this show. Number one, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Number two, share this episode with a friend who is considering real estate investing or someone who is looking for a great organization like Thorne to support. You'll find this show and all the links and resources mentioned at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 141. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 141. And then the last thing, leave me a review in Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Those reviews help more people to find this show. So last month, we received four reviews since our giveaway of Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover, Gary Chapman's Five Love Languages, and Tony Robbins' Unshakable. These are all great books that have made a big difference in my life. And today, we're going to be choosing our winner. 
And to help me do this, I have my awesome assistant, Zoe Hill, my daughter, the love of my life, here to help me. How you doing, Zoe? I'm doing great. Well, I love you, and I love doing this with you every month. It's a great little tradition. And are you ready to uh, to find out that winner? Oh, yeah. All right. So we have four reviews this month, so you know what to do to talk to you-know-who. Alexa, pick a random number between one and four. Your random number between one and four is one. Excellent. Well, our first review comes in from JB24Web, who calls it a relatable podcast and a great resource. Zoe is going to read the review. I just started listening to this podcast and I found it very informative. He chooses great topics and guests. Awesome. Thank you very much, JB24Web. And thank you, Zoe. I have some sad news, though. JB24Web, I don't have an email from you, so I don't know how to contact you. So if you hear this, please reach out to me. Take a picture of your review. Email me at andy at marriagekidsandmoney.com. That's andy at marriagekidsandmoney.com. Zoe and I would love to send you a book this month. This month, we're going to choose three books from past guests of this show. So the books that we're going to be able to choose from are Broke Millennial by Aaron Lowry, Retire Early with Real Estate by Chad Carson. You heard him earlier on in the show. And Freelance to Freedom by Vincent Puglisi. So if you can contact us again, JB24Web, and send me an email, andy at marriagekidsandmoney.com, I would love to send you one of these books. And thank you for your awesome review. So Zoe, what's going on in your world right now? Uh What's new? What 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 how's summer going? What are you doing in summer? Good. Day, mommy bought me a new dresser. <gasps> she bought you a new dresser. You like yeah. that? Yeah. Awesome. What sport are you doing this summer that you're liking? Soccer. Soccer and then what's the other thing you're doing? Mm-hmm. Chewing ice cubes. And? <laughs> Chewing ice cubes and tenors. Tenors. <laughs> oh, I love you. I love you. You're meowgical. <laughs> hey, Dad, can I tell you a joke? Oh, please do. Why did the stadium get hot after the game? Why? Because all the fans left. <laughs> I like that one. Where did you learn that? YouTube Kids on a video. Nice. YouTube Kids. You like YouTube Kids? Yeah, and also Nanny told me to. <laughs> <laughs> your, your imaginary horse friend? Yes. <laughs> okay. If we get that email from you, JB24Web, we'll send you over that book. And we're excited to do this random drawing one more time next month with my girl Zoe. And hopefully she won't have ice cubes in her mouth all the time. <laughs> <laughs> This month on the show, we have another incredible lineup, my friends. On July 8th, next Monday, Wall Street Journal bestselling author Ken Coleman joins me to help us all find a career we love. The week after that, July 15th, we're doing another Family Fi episode where I share how we've lowered our family's expenses by $20,000 per year, and it hasn't affected our happiness. And Nicole will uh, 
uh, maybe I have to get a testimonial to make sure that she agrees with that. But yes, I don't, I don't think it's affected our happiness. <laughs> and then we're also going to hear from Christy and Bryce from Millennial Revolution about how they achieved Phi at 31 years old. And then the following Monday, July 22nd, independent filmmaker Scott Reckins joins me here in Detroit to talk about how he and his wife found the ideal savings rate on their path to financial independence. And then the final Monday of the month, July 29th, I speak with CPA Logan Alec and retired Navy reservist Doug Norman, and they're going to share how a Roth IRA can set your kids up as future millionaires. Oh man, this is going to be a great month, everybody. I am super excited about July and I hope you hit the subscribe button right now so we can hang out. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Thomas Edison. We should remember that good fortune often happens when opportunity meets with preparation. Best of luck with your big family decisions, my friends. Carpe diem. Welcome to Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast. Uh, my dad is sick, so I'm taking over this podcast show. My name is Zoe Hill, and we're setting this session 21.